Thank you, Jen. And I just want to give a quick um, thank you to the worship team this morning and to Jen. Um, you did such a wonderful job of the songs that you picked and just corporate prayer and corporate worship. I realize that there's this huge hole in my heart that's been empty for many, many months now. And this is actually the first time that we've been back in a church, church building, building. Yeah, since, uh, since everything started. March. So it's, yeah. it's filling us. And it's wonderful. Thank you, guys. So about four years ago, we moved from Baltimore County to Garrett County. And we lived in this neighborhood in Reisterstown that was so incredibly diverse. Um, we were, I, at least I'm from Baltimore, I grew up in a predominantly white area, so when we moved to our neighborhood in Reisterstown, I was kind of taken aback in a really positive way how many different nations were represented just on our own street. In fact, um, I think at one point our girls were the only white kids at the bus stop. <laughs> Uh, and I kind of thought that was awesome. There was this little boy that used to stand right in front of Margo, who's our oldest. She's now 10, if you can believe that. Um, and he could do the Rubik's Cube in like under a minute. He was brilliant. And his grandfather was named Kumar. And when I used to walk the girls around the neighborhood, which was often, he would stop us and he would remark that our girls were beautiful and so sweet and he always had this huge, kind, generous smile on his face and he was just one of the kindest people I think I've ever met. And when we made the decision to move to Garrett County, we did the classic pro-con list and right at the top of that con list was leaving all of you. Um, the idea of leaving our family and friends was just absolutely heartbreaking. We had such a wonderful, still have such a wonderful community here in Baltimore that we knew we'd miss terribly. Uh, but pretty high up on that con list was the fact that we were moving from a place that was so rich and diverse from not only nationality but faith practice, socioeconomic, skin color, you name it, um, to a place that pretty much lacks all diversity. Um, it's just, that was just the way that it was going to be. And I realized that there were things that were going to happen because of that, that our girls' experience growing up there was going to be very different than their experience for the first several years of their life in Reisterstown. So when I, we got to Garrett, I was pleasantly surprised to meet a woman who was running for city council of Oakland, which is the town uh, near us where our office is. And she's a woman of color that was running for city council and she won very narrowly actually, but she won the position and I asked her one day if she wanted to get a drink. So we sat down, this was probably just about a year ago, and I just asked her to tell me her story how she got to Garrett County, why she decided to run, and what her experience had been like since then. And it shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did, but she has faced so much adversity and discrimination since moving to Garrett County. Um, she has been disrespected over and over again. 
She has been treated in a way that I find hard to believe that anyone could treat someone that way, especially in 2020, but yet it's still happening where we live. We have a lot of work to do. Um, if you think Baltimore has problems with race, believe me, it's worse other places. And um, after having that conversation, actually during having, while we were having that conversation, I found myself going through all sorts of emotions. I found myself angry on her behalf. I found myself wanting to cry and actually tearing up a few times when she told me some particularly hurtful stories. And then I found myself wanting to, you know, defend white people. Like, we're not all like that. Uh, but I realized that her telling me that this story, it was, wasn't about me. Um, and I needed to just listen to what she had to say. So as Jen mentioned, uh, and, and Mary mentioned, uh, the verse today that we've chosen is, is Micah 6.8. I'd like to read that again for you. What does God ask of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. We looked at a bunch of different verses to talk about this morning, and some of them we'll be sharing with you. But this verse has been with me basically since middle school. I went to Notre Dame Prep in Towson, and this was our headmistress's favorite Bible verse. She used to mention it a lot at Mass, um, we even had it painted on the side of one of the walls when you walked into the foyer. We used to sing a song often that was based on this verse. Um, and our school was very service-oriented, so we really tried to be known by our acts of service to one another. And one of the fa my favorite things that our school used to do was called Stone Soup Day. And once a year, um, instead of having the normal hot lunch that cafeterias would the cafeteria would provide, they would um, cook up a big thing of like a simple vegetable soup and bread. And you'd bring in your $3 and you would buy a cup of soup and a piece of bread. And the money that they raised that day would go to one of our missions that we supported. But it also just got us thinking more globally about how incredibly comfortable and privileged we are. Uh, and how this simple meal, there are plenty of people around the world that would kill to eat something this robust. Uh, and it really just changed our mindset, even if it was just for one day a year. Um, and so when I was thinking about downward and the direction of downward, which Joe had um, shared with us, uh, he defined it as the direction of cruciformity, sacrifice, and humble service to God and his people or how God's love for us should reflect the way that we love others, this Micah verse, I felt, was a perfect application of that love. So we're going to break this sermon um, actually kind of the way that Mary did. We're going to break it into three parts. We're going to talk about acting just, justly, and then loving mercy, and then walking humbly with God. Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 to 20 says, Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. So, 
For those that you are aware and that know part of our story, this year marks the 10-year anniversary of my father's death. Um, as, as painful as that memory is, going back 10 years and, and everything that we had to deal with from his diagnosis to the time that he died, there was a whole other aspect of, of that story that we had to deal with at the same time. Um, see, my father was a retired Metro Transit police officer, and he received notice um, very suddenly, in fact, in 2008, that his pension that he should receive for the rest of his life was being severely cut. And for my mom and dad, that was their only source of income at the time. Um, within a month of getting this notice, um, my parents had to foreclose on their house in Garrett County and move out of a place that I was raised in and that they had grown to love. And it was incredibly difficult going through that transition, going into the holiday season that year. And of course, less than two years later in May, actually in fact the day after we dedicated our daughter Margot in New Hope, um, the day after, on, on May 10th, my father found out he had stage four cancer. And within three months to the day, he had passed away. And one of the things that he was dealing with on top of everything else was the fact that this looming problem of him, his pension being cut, at this point, he didn't really care. He knew what his fate was going to be. But for my mother, it meant that she no longer had anything coming to her. My mother didn't work at the time either. She was also retired. And so one of the last things that my father charged my brothers and I to do at that time was to make this right for mom and fix it. What ended up happening after, you know, a week later on August 16th when we buried dad, my brothers and I started the very difficult work of trying to figure out how we could change this. This was something that we are individuals going up against an entity and trying to make a change that would help our mother. Um, and what we ended up doing, we actually started through word of mouth, social media campaigns. We had the luxury of knowing that there were certain things we could do to get my dad's story out. We ended up getting on the evening news and radio stations around the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And what ended up happening was that it was put right. Um, and not only for my mother, but the policy was then changed for every officer thereafter. So no other family would have to go through what our family had to go through in such a horrible time. And part of the reason that we felt that this was something we needed to do was that this was the right thing to do. We knew that this was the right thing to do for our mother, and this was also the right thing to do for other officers, because as we began sharing our story, we had people come out of the woodwork who began telling us stories of similar things that were happening to them at that same point in time. Unfortunately, they didn't have the resources that we did at the time to try to do something about it, and so we were also trying to correct this on their behalf, and I'm happy to say that it, it did end up working out. And one of the things that kept me going through this, and it was part of what I still remember to this day, and my father told me, he says, if you're, if you're dealing with the situation and you're wrong and you know you're wrong, have the responsibility and the courage to admit when you're wrong. But if you're right and you're on the correct side of whatever issue you're facing, don't give up. 
until it's resolved. See, that's the interesting thing about justice and what it relates to in this verse. A lot of times justice doesn't necessarily have to do anything with your own personal benefit. In fact, it's, it's for the benefit of others. You may not gain anything from what you're fighting for, but you know that it's the right thing to do. And especially in this time, in this age, where there is a lot of negativity flying around the country, as Jen mentioned, and that's, that's the power of solidarity and, and, and what that can mean is you standing with someone as they're going through an issue that doesn't really have anything to do with you necessarily. Psalm 103, 6 to 12 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and generous, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love the part of this passage about the fact that God does not treat us the way our sins deserve. And thank God he doesn't. It makes me think about um, Jesus' parable in Matthew 20 when he talks about um, the workers in the vineyard. And um, I'm sure most of you are familiar with that parable already, but the man who owns this vineyard hires workers throughout the day to work. And he agrees to pay them all basically the same amount. And at the end of the day, um, basically a gentleman that had only worked an hour got paid the same as a gentleman who had worked since the beginning of the day. And starting in verse 13, um, and so sorry, this worker that has been working all day starts grumbling that it's unfair. And the owner of the vineyard answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So when we think about the way that we treat other people, if we're supposed to be a reflection of God's love, sometimes our idea of fairness doesn't match up to what God's idea of fairness is. If God has been slow to anger, if God has been abounding in love, if God has been compassionate and gracious to us time and time again, the least we can do is try to extend that same treatment to others. As we were preparing for the sermon, we were actually thinking of the idea of empathy, and it's really great. Jen actually touched on this as well in her prayer, and no sooner had we begun discussing the topic than um, out of the blue, someone was, was making a speech directly about this, and the idea of empathy and the seeming lack of it in this current year with everything that's going on, 
and I'd like to share that with you now. Empathy, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes. The recognition that someone else's experience has value too. Most of us practice this without a second thought. If we see someone suffering or struggling, we don't stand in judgment. We reach out because there but for the grace of God go I. It is not a hard concept to grasp. It's what we teach our children. And like so many of you, Barack and I have tried our best to instill in our girls a strong moral foundation to carry forward the values that our parents and grandparents poured into us. But right now, kids in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. The problem really is that we as a nation are suffering from a lack of empathy. We tend to value American lives over everyone else's, and this is not necessarily an American problem. Almost every country in, in, in the world behaves in this manner. We care most about our own. If there's a war and there are casualties, we speak about those who have died in our own country. If there is a conflict or an act of terrorism that happens around the world, each country will outline what has happened to their own citizenry. That's normal to do. We're reporting to our people what is happening to our people. But the problem is, is that a lot of the message that's been coming around and circling around is that we should value our country and those within it more than others. We talk endlessly when terrible things occur on our soil. We debate and we analyze. We go around in circles. And at the time, it matters to us a lot. Eventually, news organizations will tire of the story and something terrible will happen and take its place and we forget about it. But how long do we focus on the atrocities and the awful things that happen around the world every day, sometimes at a much higher loss than what we experience? And something that's really been getting to me lately is that I feel it's actually kind of simple. If it, if it doesn't happen here, we really don't care about it. There are others that are spreading this idea of me before you and actively seeking it to use to manipulate us into thinking that's exactly how we all should feel. America first. I think Christ had a different view of this us versus them narrative. Christ says to love God above all other gods and love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Not necessarily of the same country, or skin color, or belief system, or opinion. There are no asterisks next to that passage, and no disclaimers. We are to love all people, the entire creation of God, at least as much as we love ourselves. We are to put the needs of others before the needs of ourselves. The truth is, nations rise and fall. No nation is forever. We just happen to be living in a time in history when America is the most prosperous and most powerful nation on the planet. But as the popular musical Hamilton can show you, we weren't always like this. Um, 
no nation is forever. But if we continue believing that this idea of America above and beyond all others will fix all of our problems and those problems of the world at large, we're failing to follow Jesus' teaching in Matthew 22. I, if we want to think about what's happening all over the world, we could pick any number of issues. I was on World Release website just a few days ago. Let's just take immigration for example. Here are some stats that I pulled. Today, over 68 million people around the world have been forced to leave their homes. Each day, that number grows by 44,000. That's one man, woman, and child forced from their home every two seconds. Imagine if every day religious persecution, war, famine, or greed forced 44,000 people out of Baltimore or Maryland or any town or city that you can think of. Would we be more inclined to think about those families and those people than those that live in Syria right now? Why should it be any different? And why should we care less about our brothers and sisters all over the world? We need to care for our neighbors near and abroad. We need to be lights to the world, lights that quell the darkness. Only then will the world begin to heal and peace can be spread. Being in America, we do have advantages over others, but we should use that freedom and that advantage responsibly to heal a hurt and broken world. So we want to share a couple of ways that we can actually live out Micah 6.8. One of the easiest ways would be to start at home, practice empathy in your, all of your relationships with your family, especially those that are married. The difficulty in a, in a time like this is that we're all trying to figure this out at the same time. None of us knows really what to do. And we need that patience and that empathy with each other so that we can keep our relationship strong and so we don't constantly go at each other's throats or get angry or get upset. We're all just trying to do this and the best way we can do it is together if we can. Listening, seeking to understand someone rather than being understood, especially in your home, start there and take that out into the world and listen to those others and try to understand what they may be going through as well. Once you've done that in your own home, I would encourage you to really try to find someone that you don't agree with and force yourself to really hear what they have to say without offering your own point of view. Empathy is a muscle, and when it's unused, it grows weaker, but it can also be strengthened over time. I forgot to bring it up with me, but if you're looking for a godly perspective, the book Brave Souls is a really good place to start. And as I mentioned earlier too, part of the, this idea about justice ultimately should be that you're seeking peace. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. But that peace doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be conflict for that. It doesn't say that it's going to be easy to come to peace with others. But it's a process that we need to go through and remind ourselves that that's what we should be seeking, to bring peace, to be lights, as, as we mentioned earlier, and share that with the rest of the world. And if we're trying to bring about peace, it seems like it should go without saying, but we should actively try not to be divisive. When you are speaking or emailing or posting to social media, are your words argumentative? Are they filled with hate and discord? Or are they filled with peace and love? This is the time when social media can be particularly dangerous. It's easy to hide behind a computer and say whatever kind of witty, sharp retort you can think of. But every time we interact with another human being, we have the ability to sow seeds of hate or sow seeds of love, to sow seeds of peace or those of discord. Um, and if you find somebody that you can't come to peace with or you feel like a larger conversation needs to be had with that person, try not to have it online. These are the kinds of things I know it's hard in 2020, but find a way to sit outside on a park bench, call them on the phone, do a video call if you have to, but have a conversation with them face to face and speak love. That being said, there are times when it's necessary to speak up. Proverbs 31.9 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Like we mentioned earlier with this idea of empathy and with justice, sometimes this has nothing to do with you, but you have the ability to have a voice. You have the ability to be heard more than others. So find those causes that those around you and, and really listen and try if you feel led to help if you can. Finally, in using that voice, it is our civic duty to vote. We're in an election year, and it gets ugly and it gets toxic. But we are blessed to live in a democracy. And I am part of a women's rights organization, and um, we're going to be doing a performance soon that's going to be women's monologues that were inspired by the suffragists who hundred years ago secured the 19th Amendment, which give, gave women, at least white women, the right to vote. And it wasn't until I started doing research for this project that I really became aware of how many women marched and protested and got arrested and were beaten and starved and died so that I could go to the ballot box in November. This is not a small thing there are people all over the world that would kill for the right to vote for their leaders. We shouldn't take it lightly. And believe me, I know, I have been tempted to just completely sit out of the entire political process because it's become so polarized and it's become so toxic. And sometimes it feels like there are no great choices to be made. 
but I would encourage you to do your research, to pray, and to go vote. If you need a write-in candidate, Joe Miller would make a mighty fine president, just saying. <laughs> In the last two major presidential elections, almost 40% of people did not vote at all. That's ridiculous. And we as Christians should not be part of that statistic. If you're still thinking about sitting out, even after everything I've said, hopefully I've convinced you, but if I haven't, think about this quote from Plato. The price of apathy towards public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. I'd like to close in prayer now. Oh God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love. And work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.